0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Competitive Enablement Show. I'm your host, Adam McQueen, and in today's episode, I was joined by Mindy Regnal, the Senior Market Intelligence Manager at PostScript, for another live edition of the podcast. In this one, we get into how you prioritize your competitors, especially when you're in a crowded market. Mindy shares what she does to map out this competitive landscape, from your tier one legacy competitors, the ones that everyone in the business knows about, all the way down to those ankle biters that are either just emerging or they're popping up in a deal or two. Mindy also shares how you resource accordingly pending on these competitors' threats to your business, the deliverables you're providing, the time you're spending researching, and how you're enabling your teams against each of these competitors specifically. And lastly, Mindy shares a couple hacks on how to clean up your CRM data, which is something we all dearly need, especially when it comes to trying to prioritize your competitive landscape. Mindy's the best. She's got such a great energy for these live episodes, and I can't wait for you to hear what she has to say. With that all said, let's get into today's episode. Before we get into the meat and potatoes today, I do have an exciting announcement exclusively for you all in attendance today we are launching the compete network tomorrow and i wanted to give people in attendance a sneak peek so again ben we're, we're putting you um we're putting you on the under the gun here but can you give me another link in comments to the compete network uh for people that don't know well you you likely don't know because we haven't shared this out yet The Compete Network is going to be the home for the best content, events, and resources going on competing to win. So we're really excited to bring together some of the biggest names in competitive intelligence and competitive enablement community all under one roof. Uh, We're going to be able to learn from the best in the industry, connect with even more competitive professionals. Uh, There's going to be plenty of new shows on there with actually a lot of guests that were previously on CE Live, like Federico Jorge who's doing a comparison page teardown with our very own Jason Oakley on compared to what. There's also last month's guest, Clara Smith, who's hosting Back Office to Boardroom, which is all about how competitive professionals earn that strategic seat at the executive table. And honestly, I'm over the moon with the support we've received from founding members across the board like Alex McDonald, Andy McCullough-Bicknell, Justin Topliff, Emma Stratton, the PMC community, PMM Hive community. Honestly, there's such a long list. We don't have to get into the details of all of that, but there's so much good stuff there on the Compete Network. I'm really proud of this. I'm excited for what's to come. So please make sure to check this out. It's another step towards what we were trying to do here and build a Compete community. And there's going to be a ton more virtual, sessions like this and in-person events so that we can connect and i'm 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 stoked for this thing but that's not all you came here for that's just a little that's just a little addition for when you get to join here live what you really came here for is for my guest that will be joined on stage with me now there she is mindy Regnal. mindy is the Uh senior market intelligence manager at postscript and prior to that, she led compete at big commerce. And what you need to know about Mindy, other than she knows a thing or two about compete, is that she loves Pokemon. As you can, t- oh, you don't have your you don't have the Pokemon background on your Zoom oh. background today. She's an expert quilter, and she owns the best pair of flamingo pajamas that money can buy. Mindy, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Oh, thank you. Pleasure to be here. Hold on, I'll, I'll cheat and I'll switch my background now so that it's the uh, desired Pokemon one. It's a little cross,
2: but
1: <laughs> here it is. Uh, Going to be in Long Beach in August with this quilt. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And I, I'm sure it won't show, but I am in fact wearing my ridiculous uh, flamingo <laughs> pajama uh, legging pant things today. Um, professional 100% work from home attire. <laughs>
0: So let's get into what really matters. Mindy, what Pokemon would be the best at working and compete and why?
1: Oh, man. Always like with the tough questions. Last time was my, or when we chatted before, my favorite Pokemon. I think it's Lapras or Ninetales. Um, generally, I think um, I'm going to go with Charmander slash Charizard for compete. Uh, we just love that, that fiery energy at PostScript. And I'm just going to channel those vibes. I think he would crush it. <laughs> I am uh, in chatting with a good friend of mine who's also uh, in the larger product marketing umbrella and a better at individual Pokemon moves than I am. She points out that he could absolutely beat Squirtle with an electric move. So I think, uh, I think Charmander slash Charizard is where it's at. Although I always played probably Bulbasaur. (laughs) (laughs)
0: The, The fire emojis. That is, I think that when we look at our, Compete channel in Slack. It's fire emojis everywhere. So I think you're on the right track. Okay. What we actually came here for is at the end of our last CE live session, where Claire and Brando were, were with us, um, We the, the topic came up around how do you prioritize and then kind of resource accordingly your competitors, especially when you have a big competitive landscape. Um, so Ben, do you want to drop that poll to start with? I just want to get a sense of How many competitors are folks in the audience right now tracking? Uh, Ben, if you can bring that poll up. And Ben, we got that one. Nice. So, yeah, the reason we wanted to share this one is it's come up more and more with um, us as competitive professionals. You, You don't have unlimited bandwidth to track every competitor to every bit of detail. So at some point, you need to be able to, hear them out and understand where your focuses focuses should lie. So let's. Oh, uh, we have to do the 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 minute wait on results here. And as we do that, I would um, Mindy and I were talking about this beforehand. Um, when we talk about tackling how you prioritize your competitors, and we were kind of going down that conversation on Monday. You felt that you had somewhat of a, a hot take a fiery take maybe even what you perceived as a a potentially unpopular opinion on it and as we look here the results have come out okay we've got a night wow we've got a diverse mix here which is especially with the amount of people that are tracking twenty plus competitors I think tiering and prioritizing is that's why you're here for this session today um, Mindy before we get into exactly how you prioritize against your competitors. You wanted to share something first, I think, in order to tackle that. So what was that?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's it's probably, in my opinion, a little bit of an unpopular opinion to say that like to really prioritize and kind of start figuring out where you fit in the competitive landscape, it, it, you need a good solid foundation in who you are. What is your you know, ICP or ideal customer profile? Um, and really understanding who that is. Uh, The reason I think it's so important is because there's always, you know, the the tendency to try to solve for the entirety of your potential market. Uh, And when you try to solve for that entirety of that potential market, you just have so many different use cases, so many different maybe sub-industries or, you know, individual personas that have different needs, different use cases. And it gets a little bit tricky in terms of, like, generalizing and dealing with a space that is inherently crowded, Um, I've been in e-commerce as an industry, um, both at e-commerce platforms and technologies within e-commerce for, gosh, almost 15 years. I love this space. It's near and dear to my heart, and it is just unbelievably crowded. Um, I think I've heard people throw around that there are like 500 e-commerce platforms that exist. Um, And have I been asked questions about e-commerce platforms that I've never heard of? Have I been asked questions about technologies within e-commerce that I've never heard of all day, every day? Um, I think I was telling Adam, I remember there was this one week and I swear every day in my competitive channel, somebody brought up a new competitor that I had never um, heard about before. Um, And they were all like within a particular um, technology bucket. Um, which was really helpful, um, and my response to that was like, "Great, let's keep an eye on them and pay attention to when they start coming up in deals. One deal does not make um, a, a competitor that's going to be at the top of my list."
0: So, how do you go about understanding? How do you go about understanding who you are and what your fit is, and how does that actually trickle down into like, what are my tier one priority like um, competitors then?
1: Yeah. So I think when you're thinking about who you are, um, you know, it's obviously going to vary a little bit depending on kind of the life cycle of where you are as a company. Um, You know, when you're getting out and you're getting started, you're probably much more laser focused on a specific area. It tends to be the best way to be relatively disruptive is to start in one segment, one section um, and kind of go from there. Now, as you get to be like a bigger company and you start hitting more geographies, more regions, um, you know, who you are and who you serve may change. Um, But having that deep understanding of who you are to start out with is important. Now, let's say you're in a late stage company and you're going to tell me, but Mindy, I have multiple, you know, personas. We serve multiple size businesses. We're in different geographies. And I think the best place to start. Is usually your biggest market, right? Um, for a lot of SaaS companies, and I, I'm sorry to, you know, I know you're in Canada. Oftentimes, it's starting with your US base, right? Um, I'm an e-com. I've been an e for forever. I remember when Shopify wasn't a publicly traded company. Um, and Shopify spends a tremendous amount of time in the US despite being a Canadian company. So it's um, that. And then looking at which market you're probably dominating the most to get that base understanding before you start kind of venturing into Well, we'd like to move farther up market.
0: Um, and in terms of, I think another reason like we want to jump into this question is I think, especially when you have this many competitors and you might be starting from scratch with your compete program is how do you even get a handle over which ones you should care about first? I actually was chatting with, um, Aaron, I'm not sure if he's with us today, but he actually asked me this question when we were chatting after last month's session. Is like, how do you even streamline through all of this mountains of data to really figure out who you should be focused on most? Because in his example, he's saying, we, we use Gong for transcriptions, but that's not always the cleanest, uh, cleanest uh, move, especially when some of your competitors might have very generic names in terms of your tracking of mentions. Uh, <laughs> Salesforce data, as well, which I think is critical. We can get into the CRM data hygiene of it all in a little bit. Let's not tackle that bit yet. But he even mentioned between Gong and this Salesforce data. He, if you hear anyone sobbing on the call right now, that is him. Um, so he was really curious how you kind of tear out your competitors and prioritize them based on those kind of, those kind of attributes.
1: Yeah. So I mean, before you dive into like the CRM data and all of that, and, and I'm just going to laugh because I have a competitor. I, I probably have multiple smaller competitors who have names that are very um, easy to just like be thrown around in you know general vernacular. Um, and then I have other competitors who have um, videos on how to pronounce their name properly. Um so there's there's always um that uh our, our our I generally find working with your sales reps to try and tag your calls in Gong when that happens is always really helpful um You know, candidly, and this this probably slight spoilers on how I like to think about solving for your CRM data. But the more you can incentivize folks to help you understand who's coming up in deals, um, the more likely you are to get the data that you want. So when I think about starting at a brand new company um, and launching a new compete program, and that's and that candidly, like that's my background. Um, I don't think I've ever inherited a, a, a CI program that's been established. Um, I guess, unless you count like as an exception, I established a a compete program. I went to another company. They convinced me to come back and I re-inherited my own compete program um, that hadn't been touched in while I was gone. So um, that can always be a little fun. But I think it's getting uh, aligned with your key stakeholders on who your core competitors are, right? That alignment has to come from the top. And there can be some disagreement. There can be some hot debate. But really, like if you boil it down to like your top two to four competitors, you should be able to find some level of agreement, um, especially just in terms of who's coming up consistently. And those competitors that come up consistently are your tier one most important competitors. Um, if they're not coming up in the majority of your deals, um, in my opinion, they get deprioritized
0: Who who are you talking with to get alignment then? Who are the stakeholders involved in that process?
1: Yeah, so sales leadership, um, generally uh, your SLT, your your leadership team will have opinions. Um, You know, I'm at a smaller company right now. We've got three co founders. I've had conversations with all three of them about the space. I've met with our head of sales, Um, I've met with all of our different sales managers, our marketing leadership. and there was generally a lot of consensus. Now I've been at other companies where if you have that exact same conversation, the consensus isn't necessarily the same, right? Like they'll all mention two or three players in the space, um, but not. At, but then you'll start getting like additional one-off competitors who maybe you've never heard of before. I mean, if you're brand new at a company, you've probably never heard of any of these before, let's be honest. And that's always the hardest part. Um but kind of just keep a list. Um, I use that as like a general top level alignment. And then I start looking into the data. Um, and that's where, you know, you hit your gong, you hit your Salesforce um, and all of those other resources.
0: So you're hitting qualitative feedback, just getting their sentiment to begin with, but that's not the be all end all. Because I think when you talk, I think I, many people in this call can agree that the loudest voice or the loudest um Mentions maybe even from sales folks isn't necessarily going to pan out as the biggest threat to the business. It might just be that within that month that they've come up a couple times more. Like it doesn't. You don't. You don't kind of just to follow what the anecdotal feedback is blindly. I think you, there needs to be some kind of quantitative data that's backing up. Okay, this is actually a compare we need to care about as well. It's not just something that kind of everyone everyone's kind of talking about but they're not actually that impactful
1: yeah you know and there's also aside from you know looking at your own data you can you know do some basic um you know google research talk to partners talk to other folks in the space about who matters and who comes up the most Um, industry analysts are another um you know great space Um, that their definition of, of what a segment is is probably not the same from one analyst to the next, though. So make sure you have like a clear understanding of whose definition is who, right? So like if you look at e-commerce as a space more holistically, um, Shopify is a small business player, Shopify Plus, generally mid-market. If you ask Shopify, they describe it as enterprise. Um, now, if you ask Magento what their base is, they'll tell you they have a small business solution, and that's Magento open source. Magento open source and Shopify Plus are actually probably the same customer base. So that consistency, depending on who you're asking within a space, you know, don't let that kind of fool you dig a little bit deeper and kind of see, like, what are the size of those merchants? How many people do they tend to have? Um, all those sorts of attributes that would help you understand it. Um but analyst reports and and you know, um, as Pierre mentioned in the the chat, user review websites, third party reviews are all great. Um, be cautious of affiliates. Um, I know that's that's a, a thing that happens a lot in e-commerce is there are lots of affiliate marketers. Um, and the way that affiliates will rank things is is obviously influenced um, by who's giving them the most revenue for a lead. Um, So that can be a little bit of like a dicey spot to go, but it'll definitely tell you who's investing in those Mm -hmm. areas.
0: Actually, that's a, Pierre, I I appreciate you kind of chiming in here. We talked a bit before this uh, because Alina as well was asking me before the session, like what does setting out this kind of competitive landscape or like your, your threat analysis landscape, what does that look like in practice? And I was chiming with Pierre and I know that he mentioned, he just, did this maybe two weeks ago, a week ago. Pierre, do, do you mind jumping on and sharing some of the things that you were doing as this has been so top of mind for you?
3: Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Adam. Hi, everyone. And first of all, yeah, I agree with what you've covered here today so far. Um, that's what I, I've been through. Um, my my main comment is we. Um, I suggest, you know, reassessing your, your competition on a quarterly basis, at least in the IT industry. That, that makes sense. And so that's what we did like two weeks ago. And as you mentioned before you know we look at our executives priority, what they see as the, the biggest segment we need to attack and what vendors they, they, they want us to target. we look at the CRM data of course but the problem with that um, is that you're only aware of the vendors that you fight and sometimes you you, you have vendors that are big competitors but you don't, you're not aware of because they are so good that you don't even get invited to fight in the opportunities. so you lost before the before the opportunity was even open, so they don't show up in your CRM. And that's why I said, yeah, reco- you know, look at analysts like Gartner, IDC, Forrester. They can typically tell you uh, that for your segment of the market, the, the top five vendors that customers ask about for new projects are X, Y, Z. So that way you make sure that, yeah, even if you, know, you're, you have been blind, blind spotted by, by uh, your executive and Salesforce data or CRM data, um, you'll get an external point of view that will tell you who are the big players in reality. And, and yeah the user review platforms like G2 Crowd TrustRadius and um, Gartner Peer Insights yeah don't don't look at the comments but look at the statistics you know <laughs> what's the vendors that get the most uh reviews basically because that tells you what you know customers are rooting for uh but so yeah we went through that uh, like that and i think these were the the, the three main uh, main sources of information to prioritize the uh, the vendor uh that that uh, we looked at basically um not sure if I answered your question completely did I miss something?
0: no no I, 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 I love that and I it was good to get uh, someone that's doing this mm. so recently with, <laughs> yeah. with the topic as well
3: oh um, yeah the, the, the final one I forgot sorry is like I, depending on your business model but if you have a, a go-to market where you have a channel involved well talk to your distributors talk to your resellers or your service providers and ask them you know what what's the, the either the vendors that they, they fight the most when they sell your stuff. What are or what are the other vendors that they sell aside of your product? And many times they can tell you, you know, we sell 20% of our revenue comes from you guys, but 30% comes from this other vendor. And that might be sometimes a surprise what vendor that is.
1: Yeah, partners and and channels can be such an incredible insight, Mm -hmm. especially on those ones where you're just not getting invited to the table. Yeah.
2: Because those partners
1: are the ones that are trying to bring you in and they're finding out very quickly whether or not you're making the cut. Um, I also ran analyst relations during my time at BigCommerce. So very much a big fan of um, having conversations with industry analysts. Um, One thing that's probably worth noting um, when you're thinking about some of those review sites is there are definitely companies and you can tell when they're prioritizing uh, getting reviews left on a particular channel. Uh, They all just start to sound a little bit similar. Um, and sometimes, uh, you know, there are like places that are used in evaluation. So, um, you know, Gartner does Gartner Peer Insights as part of their process. So there the, you do tend to see a little bit more reviews. So those ratings, I think, sometimes can get a little skewed, but you generally don't know that when you're first like kind of diving in. Um, and I think the same thing can be said for those, you know, affiliate sites um, where they, they tend to be um, overwhelmingly positive. But you yeah. know, when somebody's forced to acknowledge a weakness, um, pay attention to it. Uh, you know, like you should know what your strengths and weaknesses are, and where you compete and where you don't compete as part of that prioritization. Because um, when you know, you know what's important to you and what's not important to you. Not only can you prioritize your competitive program, but you can help sales um, and other folks like quickly identify that somebody's just not a right fit. Um, you know, and that can kind of get down into personas or, you know, specific industries and all sorts of other things that I'm, I'm sure Adam and I will keep going down that path.
0: Pierre, yeah, I appreciate you sharing with us. Um, I always love when you jump on this. Uh, yeah. So Mindy, let's, should we, should we get into the CRM of it all right now? Should we, should we open that can of worms? Cause I think, oh, every, I think everyone, open that every, can of worms. everyone just shuddered a little bit when they heard CRM data. But I think in terms of prioritization, like the cleaner your CRM data, the better you're going to be able to prioritize. So you mentioned to me as well that you've you've done a few things to try and get alignment amongst certain teams in order to improve the quality of that data. Um, what what have you what have you done?
1: Yeah, so I think oftentimes when you're thinking about CRM data. Um, probably the, the easiest way to kind of dive into that topic is, is a win loss program. Um, you know, sometimes that's owned by product marketing. Um, sometimes that's, you know, under the umbrella of competitive. Um, but it's a great kind of forcing function to take a look at that data, right? Everybody's constantly talking about your win rates and all of that. Um, and sometimes I just feel like you're not necessarily tracking the data that's useful until you're the person that has to go through it and try and figure out. Okay, but who actually won? So when I like to think about Salesforce data, particularly, um, you know, in in, uh, spaces where somebody probably already has an existing solution, I like to think of it as kind of four different things that I want to know, aside from the sales comments. One, I want to know what are they using right now? then I want to know what did folks evaluate, right? So were they evaluating staying on their own solution? Were they evaluating other competitors at the same time? And then probably the the piece of information that I don't think most CRMs often capture, and if they do, it's not very clean and easy to get to, is who actually won. And the answer to that is you need to have an answer to Pierre's point where it's unknown, because you just didn't make it far enough into the sales cycle to know where somebody made a decision and who they selected. Um, and when you start looking and you realize that you have a lot of unknowns, or you're starting to rely on your sales comments to understand, you know, who it was. Maybe it was somebody that wasn't in your Salesforce dropdown. Um, you know, I've worked at all sorts of companies that have, uh, you know, largely used <laughs> Salesforce. I think we've all been there. Um, and that what those fields look like. If it's a multi select checkbox, is it a free form box where you're typing stuff in? It's really inconsistent. Um, and sometimes there are just multiple fields. So making sure that you understand um, what fields are being used up front is really important. And then what fields are you potentially missing? So I remember I've definitely gone through like a quarter's worth of data. And uh, the first time I did it, I was just sitting there and I like made my own column and I was having to sit there and type in notes every single time I thought I knew who won. Um, And then also, I think the other thing that that can get really squirrely on your win rates, right, is are you talking about win rates as a steal or win rates as who you're competing against and beating? Because you can be stealing from different competitors than you're competing against. And that to me fits into like that larger prioritization and kind of tiering system.
0: What about in terms of just like even going back, like getting sales reps to actually fill out the correct competitors? Or even is there an enablement piece to helping them understand when there is a competitor in the deal too? Because I think so often when you mention the unknown, there is a, there's obviously a competitor involved. I mean, sometimes people will see back to status quo, but like if like training reps to be able to fill that out in a way that will serve you to understand the competitive landscape, allow you to prioritize. There's a lot more than just prioritization that comes with that, but then also helps serve them. So is there anything you've done in terms of like enabling them to better fill out that, to <coughs> clear, clear this, clear this mess up?
1: So I think, um, you know, obviously depending on, you know, what type of product you're selling and um, you know, what, what space you're in, is there a way to automate any of that? Um, the more that you can automate, the better, right? There's less fields for sales reps to fill in, maybe initially in terms of what technology they're using. Um, and you, you generally have to help reps understand when people are describing certain things and they're not naming names. Like most uh, competitors in like a really crowded space will have a couple key points that they like to hang their hat on. It's their hook, it's their in, it's how they get to know you. When you start knowing your core competitors who are coming up consistently, you start knowing those hooks. So if I know that somebody is describing, um, you know, let's say we're talking e-commerce, they're talking ease of use, they're talking about, um, you know, a company that has almost 2 million stores, um, they're talking about an app ecosystem that's the largest in the space, like I can probably draw the conclusion that they might be talking about Shopify. Um, If they're talking about like they have to use a particular payment gateway probably a good sign. So those sorts of um, indicators that you can train your reps on can definitely be helpful. Um, but I think sometimes just being direct can, you know and asking you know, who else are you evaluating during the sales cycle is a valid question. It's probably not the best place to lead, right? Find the appropriate spot in the sales cycle to do it. Um, I'm a firm believer and I, I'm one of those ecom econ nerds. So, I have a degree in economics. um, And the reason I switched to economics when I was in college was um, I had a professor who boiled economics down to like one philosophy, and it is that people respond to incentives. Um, And that felt like an earth shattering, mind blowing break out the little animated gifts there um, to to go with that moment for me and kind of my journey in education. Um, And that to me is relevant because if you want salespeople to do something, change the incentives. Um, You want data on this competitor that you swear is coming up often and often and I don't see it, prove it. Um, And I mean that like in all sincerity, like prove to me that this competitor is coming up um, so that we can stack rank them accordingly.
0: Yeah, it's matching qualitative sentiment with quantitative data. Actually, one thing we actually do at Clue, which is um, part and parcel of that incentive is yeah, show me, Brandon, show me the incentives. And Brandon, I mean, you you could speak to this a little bit more. I don't want to get into the clue of it all too much. But in terms of incentivizing reps to even mention that competitor presence so that it can actually match up with the data is, well, if they, in Salesforce, if you mention that competitor, well, then bang, as soon as you mention that, here's the competitive information. Here's the necessary battle cards you need. So that one, it incentivizes them to actually fill out that competitor. And now two, they're actually getting the resources they need to combat, or I don't even want to use the word combat, but to deposition that competitor in a deal. Um, Brandon, did you have anything else you wanted to add on, on this space too? Brandon, for those of you that don't know, I'm sure you all do, is our own competitive enablement manager at, at Clue.
2: Oh, yeah. Please. No, um, Mindy, I think you nailed it. And i good to see you again, Mindy. Um, yeah. I mean, Clue technology aside and how like we can integrate and incentivize reps that way. I think what Mindy said earlier is so spot on, right? Like, and it happens here at Clue as well. Like, hey, Brandon, we just heard about so-and-so competitor, uh, actually happened this morning, so-and-so competitor that, you know, I'm aware of, but, you know, comes up in a sales deal once a year, maybe. And they're like a really small startup that's like just getting into our space. Like on one hand, I want to help and show that, yeah, we're aware of them. But on the other hand, you know, looking at, say, CRM data, and saying, hey, like if it's not on this list of competitors that we're actually losing deals to or that are actually coming up in a large percentage of deals, then it's not going to be a top priority. And I think it's it's one of the things I struggle with because I'm a bit of a people pleaser na- naturally. So I want to help. Um, but there is a, a certain point and you know, spot on to this whole topic of, you know, you need to be able to prioritize. And part of that is saying no. And like the gentlest, uh, most uh, positive way possible.
1: I, I'm that's... guilty of being a bit of a people pleaser too. If that makes you feel any better, um, I think I've I've got an old colleague of mine on the call. He can confirm that that's probably true, and that I have a bit of a reputation for that.
2: Yeah, so I think it's a it's a there are worse reputations to have. I'll say that.
0: How how do you tackle that then? How do you kind of brush aside the the need to try and people please and then say no? Because if I if, if I, if I dig this hole or go down this rabbit hole, like it's going to derail us as a business and my work from stuff that's higher value.
2: Yeah. I'm
0: sorry. Okay. I'll just share it really quickly here and then I'll, I'll
2: pass it back to, to Vinny. Like, t- like one thing that I've learned, um, especially as I'm like having to do this more and more is just being in the way that you say, no, it's like, you know, it's not what you said, it's how you say it. And there's ways to be really positive and say, Hey, you know, thank you for sharing that. This is, this is great Intel for me to to see that this competitor is coming up. I've added it to my priority list, but I also want to be transparent that it's, you know, there are a lot of other priorities that we're working on, or even asking questions and saying, and empowering the, say, the sales rep, say, you know, could you potentially find out more about this uh, competitor in this call? Um, And so I think, you know, not to get too deep into that one example, but it's just the way that you, instead of just saying, no, this isn't a priority, it's like, hey, yes, this is great Intel, but, um, you know, how important is this to you and or can can we work together and um, empower the individual to actually look into that competitor as well.
0: Oh, thank you, Brandon. I appreciate you hopping on with us.
1: I definitely think... Um... You know, I I agree, absolutely, really important to make sure that people feel like they're being heard. Um, And I'm always a big believer and um, maybe to my detriment, but I was always a fan of like, I'd rather somebody message me or have like seven different people message me the same thing than completely miss it. Um, That is just who I am at my core. I like to know all the things. Um, (laughs) uh, I I have a a friend of mine that's a former uh, IDC analyst. Uh, And we still chat about like the, the, just the deep innate desire to like know everything. Um, But aside from that, like if you can bucket and, and bucketing can be like a, a, maybe like a, not the greatest term for it, but like finding categories and similarities. So, um, you know, in e-commerce, for example, there for the longest time was historically two different types of technologies and they were very, very different and distinct so software as a service versus open source slash self-hosted. Um, ease of use, very straightforward, maybe a little bit more limited on what you could do, completely flexible, unlimited power, um, and its greatest weakness um, is its greatest strength. And that whenever you build whatever you build, now you have to maintain it. And it's a little bit more resource intensive. So when competitors would come up that I had never heard of before, you know, sometimes you can kind of rely on your, hey, use your talking points that are most relevant for this type of technology or this specific industry, or, um, you know, they're really focused on small business and you're talking to an enterprise merchant. Um, Those sorts of things that can kind of help people quickly deflect by just validating information that should be relatively easy to find. Um, Or, you know, you just kind of Google it, um, and you should be able to figure it out pretty quickly.
0: <laughs> well, that's, uh, that kind of ties back to your first point, hey Mindy, is like understanding yourself and where you sit in the, in the bigger picture as well will then allow you to, I like that you mentioned that kind of, it's not to completely pigeonhole or bucket competitors, but you, if you can put them into some sort of categories like that for just like quick dismissal opportunities for your, for your reps and folks in the field, what um what are some of those that I know specific to you in the e-commerce space, but are there some of these kind of differentiation buckets that you could um that folks in the audience could be using as well?
1: So I think technology is, is a great starting point. Um, you know, there's generally some sort of business model or philosophy. I know a lot of, you know, um, kind of B2B is moving towards SAS in the first place. So maybe you find all of your competitors are SaaS, and you're like, Mindy, I don't really see a technology difference. That's okay. Um, you know, start looking for, um, philosophical differences. Um, do companies take a different view of the world? Are they trying to solve a problem differently? Um, do they have different advice, different answers, Um, I think that's an understated um, bucket. Um, There can be, you know, philosophical views on how you work with your partners or how you think uh, a channel should be used and utilized, Um, you know, just so much of those things can be really unique. um, And that can be a way to kind of put other people into different categories. There's also kind of like the best in breed versus, uh, you know, all in one. So how specialized are you and how specialized are some of your competitors? What industries do you serve? Are you laser focused on one thing um, and your competitors are serving maybe a larger, different segments of the market? Right? It's really understanding your customers and what your customers' needs are and whether or not there are advantages and disadvantages. Let's be honest. There are probably advantages and disadvantages to any way you could go about building a product. It's understanding your strengths and your weaknesses. Um, you know. And obviously, you can spin the narrative around those weaknesses. Um, I think one of those things that can be really powerful is... Um, Taking a stance on something and turning what some people would argue is a weakness into a positive, um, you know, you see that a lot in the way that um, some companies talk about like SaaS uh, for e-commerce, right? Yes, you don't have the unlimited flexibility, but it's also going to save you a ton of money. You don't really need it. Are you paying extra for those things? Um And then uh, I generally maintain uh, battle cards for my core competitors. So I use a tiering system um, and I've used a tiering system in the past. The most competitors that I've ever actively tried to maintain at one time as a single individual was seven. um, And that was miserable. Um, I'm a firm believer in like really leaning in and focusing. So I build out for my two biggest competitors, two or three, um, very deep, detailed battle cards, probably another like fairly unpopular opinion. I don't like short battle cards. Um, if you're going to have quick dismisses, uh, high level information, like build a sales deck, um, that kind of hits those high points, but battle cards to me are less of an on the call resource and more of a, like, okay, let's really dive in deep and let's understand those little nuanced details. Cause if your space is that crowded, being able to validate like, okay, cool. You said you're cheaper. Unless you can go to your pricing page and literally show side by side that you are 50% less, usually it's not that like simple or straightforward or there's enterprise pricing or there's additional costs or there's all these other factors. Like you need to detail those out for people to be able to follow and understand it. So when I um, refer people to like a technology where like they're similar, it's like, hey, go use X competitor's battle card as like your kind of your basis and your starting point and use those high notes because those high notes for why you're different kind of start to sound the same across different competitors right you have seven reasons why you're the best at whatever it is that you do and when you're building a battle card you're picking and choosing and picking the you know two to three that are most relevant so it's pretty easy to start finding those narrative ones and just pointing people towards them at least as a, you know, stopgap measure until they're coming up enough and they've proven to you that, you know, you need more.
0: That's interesting. I wouldn't necessarily disagree, but I think the approach around battle cards being not just, I think what you're saying is you don't want it to just be surface level. Uh, You don't want it to just be, although, yeah, you don't want it to be surface level. Like there needs to be some layer of like, Okay, there's here's a talking point, but here's why it actually matters. Here's the bat like here's the proof points in the pricing. Here's the proof points from a customer story. Here's the proof points with a, uh, a rep using that talk track in the field. like it's sort of not just providing fluff, it feels like as well. Um, yeah, and
1: it doesn't have to all live in one place like you can link to third-party resources, um, you know blog posts, uh, G2 crowd, social reviews, um, Twitter. I love Twitter and like the tech space. Um, it is fantastic and sometimes terrifying, um, which is why I only use Twitter for like professional. Because um, everybody loves to talk about everything, at least in e-commerce, on
0: Twitter. Is um, so let's let's get into sort of we've we've already started to dive into this then. This after the prioritization, it's it's the resourcing side of things. So with your let's call them tier one competitors what are the deliverables that that come with that competitor like what do you you've set out that these are the ones that we care about most how how are you resourcing those
1: yeah so i would say um i have kind of two different battle card templates that i've used um what i would call a full battle card and then maybe like a battle card light um, and a battle card light is really just hitting those higher notes with a little bit more context. Um, you know, you're, you're still kind of maybe referencing case studies if you have them. Um, I'm a firm believer if you have case studies that are about a competitor, like they should be a steal in like the most perfect sense of the world. Sometimes they don't have to mention it, but you know that like, hey, this is somebody who switched from X competitor to over to us. Um, and that can be helpful. Um, And if there aren't any case studies that are relevant, finding one that's really similar, right? So I'm going to use my little Pokemon analogy here. And let's say um, I'm coming up against Ninetales and I don't have a a Ninetales battle card, but I know it's a, or a case study, but I know it's a fire type Pokemon and Charmander is pretty similar. So we're just going to use, you know, the case study that's most relevant there. So there are ways that you can kind of repurpose and reuse content, um, in terms of assets, assets that I've put together, um, you know, battle cards are probably the primary. Um, I've done decks. Um, I try to focus those resources on the biggest. I've also worked with marketing teams to create like external um competitor-facing uh resources. So like feature comparison charts, not necessarily the hugest fan of feature comparison charts. I think they they lack a lot of the nuance and details, but um, you know sometimes folks really love them. Um, I've also worked with um, you know buying guides and things like that that you can put together to kind of steer customers down. It's kind of like having your own RFP template um, and then really letting people kind of build on top of it and kind of come back right now I'd say I'm in a much smaller team than than I was at previously. Um, you know the marketing team is is probably about the size of the product marketing team at my previous company. Um, So we're lean and mean and pretty fast. Um, And I would say sometimes I just build internal only resources um, and then let people kind of build and use those appropriately and just guardrails in place. Um, I think Alan mentioned in the chat on a voice delivery system, we use Loom. I love Loom. I think it's great for asynchronous conversation um, don't let yourself fall into the habit of like over relying on asynchronous communication. Sometimes it's just easier to hop on a call with folks. Um, but I have recorded like talk tracks on, on Loom, um, particularly when you're getting into something that's really detailed and nuanced. Um, and it's just easier for folks to listen to an explanation of like a particular topic, Um, and really understanding like what those topics and things that come up in each space are, you know, it could be reporting. It could be, you know, particular type of feature, Um, you know, it's really interesting and kind of getting into that, like back to that categorization, like there are features that you think are relatively simple. I know when I first started in e-commerce, I was like, okay, cool. Sales tax. Sales tax is sales tax is sales tax, whatever. Um, And then (laughs) little did I know that sales tax was a whole lot more complicated than that. And that there were particular industries particular segments of the market, um, very large enterprise businesses that just need deep complexity there. Um, and so yeah, sales tax nexus is, is one of those things. Um, sales tax and certain verticals, um, shipping can get really complicated. Um, especially if you think about like vice or CBD or, um, vice is like a whole separate can of worms in e-commerce. There's like every weird sort of thing that you could run into that could run into all sorts of uh, additional complexities. But when you understand those industries and those verticals, you can start finding those niches that matter. So if you're talking to somebody who's selling wine, will they now have to deal with all of these additional regulations? Where can you sell it? Do you have the, tail, the you know the sales tax, this, the that? And that's where that hyper focused you know, um, niche player can really compete against a really big player. Now, if you're a big player and you're playing against somebody who's really niche, you can start pulling out all those other cool, shiny features that maybe they haven't built because they're not really specific to that vertical. So there are plenty of ways to you know, play that game. Uh,
0: in terms of, yeah, this resourcing side of things, I I actually remember Claire and Brandon again talking about in the last session. What I like is in terms of like what she mentions, like tier one, here are our deliverables are sort of Let's get a battle card, uh, an external one pager, competitive case study like you mentioned, and then some sort of like SDR quick dismiss uh, sort of talk track templates that you mentioned sort of via like a loom. Another one that I, I spoke with someone on a podcast, I'm not going to reveal who yet because the episode hasn't released yet, but it was really cool is from a resourcing standpoint, not just on terms of deliverables, but if you're prioritizing a competitor, one thing that uh, they were doing is... Uh, They noticed like uh, a competitor coming out, pretty was emerging, pretty strong uh, the previous quarter, and so it became a priority for them. So not just from a deliverable standpoint, they actually built out a tiger team that was for the next quarter was specifically dedicated to that competitor. So it was a team of SDRs matched up with someone from marketing, kind of this cross-functional mini team that was purely dedicated to that one competitor. And that was Anna um, McTease. Yeah, um, that was an interesting, not just from the context of like here are the deliverables that we're going to do for this competitor. It's like this is a, this is something we want to strategically focus on this quarter, and we're going to build like a team and some re- uh, some headcount towards that specific competitor. Have you have you seen that before, Mindy?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've definitely seen Tiger teams that have come together to take advantage of either a specific competitor or a specific market opportunity. Um, so the reason I, I use market intelligence is I think competitors are just one piece of the market. Also like candidly makes me a little less scary to talk to people outside of my organization. Um, Cause everybody wants to know what's happening in the market. And so um, I've seen more often than not, I've seen tiger teams kind of spin up around like a particular event um, and and, if you've ever been, you know, in SaaS, right, there's the chance that a competitor hits an end of life or they create a new version or something that requires like a moment in time that you can take advantage of. Those are a great opportunity to, to, to kind of spin up a Tiger team and get going.
0: What does um, what, what, what do you do when you build a Tiger team? Like how do you set those, those teams up for success?
1: So I think um, you know generally sometimes those, those tiger teams can kind of come from executive leadership um, and getting that alignment in terms of the prioritization and kind of the marching orders. I think that the challenge with tiger teams and companies that tend to move um, really fast um, is that you can build a tiger team, you can build out a program, you can put a bunch of resources and energy into like, okay, we're going to take advantage of this opportunity. We have a competitor um they just filed for bankruptcy or we just had a competitor that announced that they're going to have any version it's a completely different technology stack and good news um moving from version 1 to version 2 is as much work as switching from that competitor to you um those are the moments and those happened by the way in e-commerce like surprisingly often um i could list you several e-commerce platforms that um I would still probably consider myself a subject matter expert in, and they've been dead for several years. Um, I actually used to work for a large reseller of a company called Pro Stores, which was, if you go way back in time when eBay still owned Magento, they had a e-commerce platform specific just for selling on eBay, and it was called Pro Stores. And Magento had a SaaS version. Gosh, like this must have been... eight, nine years ago since it died. So like, and I still would say, I wrote 400 pages of technical documentation on pro stores at one point in my career. I'm a subject matter expert for life. I don't care how long they've been dead. (laughs) That was a moment in time where pro stores said, hey, you have to switch. Um, Here's our recommended partner. And then everybody else in the space like jumped all over it. Um, and those opportunities are always something you want to be keeping an eye out for. But those tiger teams are great. Just don't like lose focus and like get jump onto the next market opportunity before you fully maximize the first one. I think that's largely where tiger teams, in my experience, have gone sideways. But get mm-hmm. executive sponsorship, have somebody who's going to lead that program, and then make sure that the core team has kind of a touch point across everybody that's involved right? Your sales team needs to be involved. Your marketing team needs to be involved. If it's something that involves a partner, your partnership program, maybe strategic business development. If you're offering some sort of deal, finance needs to be there. Um, I've got a whole TED Talk on the history of e-commerce, just for the record. If anybody ever wants to like geek out on the historical, how we got from where we were to where we are now, because SaaS is fundamentally different. Uh, that it used to be like that is, uh, I, I've built narratives around that. Um, and I think it's fun. But those are the sorts of things that you need to make sure you have involved. And then when you get those first group of people in the room, if you think somebody's missing, say something early. Um, there's definitely been times in my career where a landing page was going to get spun up and it's a direct competitive page and nobody invited me. Um, but I had good friends on the demand gen team, or I had other folks on sales that were like, Hey, did we get Mindy's input? Did Mindy review this? Did we make sure that this is hitting all the highlights? Um, you know, at some point, if you're a team of one, um, which I have been a team of one, the majority of my career, um, that can be a little hard and that that rigorous prioritization can come into place. And again, I, I like to use a tiering system. I feel like you've referred to it without saying what it is, but tier one is like my core competitors. They come up in every deal. We are going head to head. Tier two can be competitors that sometimes come up occasionally. Um, they're smaller. Maybe they're your competitors that you're not really competing against, but they're competitors you're stealing from. And those have a different, um, kind of opportunity, right? So if you go back to that end of life, probably the most famous end of life in e-commerce is Magento. Uh, had Magento version one. They released Magento version two for years and probably still to this day because uh, open source technology has a little bit of that Game of Thrones. What is dead? It will never die um, because it it's open source code. And as long as somebody will host it, it will keep going. So there are still people floating around on this technology that's been uh, dead, uh, for a while. So, um, you know, those can be a tier two competitor and you're treating them mm-hmm. differently because nobody is considering, or at least they shouldn't be considering trying to stay on a platform that's going to die, but you need to understand that platform still to compete. Um, and then I've used tier three as kind of like regional expansion competitors or competitors that have gotten a lot of noise, um, to Pierre, I know Pierre, uh, mentioned industry analysts. An industry analyst can cause quite a stir um, in the space, right? It's that uh, distraction. All of a sudden, one competitor makes several big moves. They get a, a, a particularly noteworthy um, new hire. They rank really well in an industry analyst report. Um, they get funding. Um, I'm trying to think what else can happen that, that gets a lot of noise. But those 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 all of a sudden, everybody starts freaking out. And it's, it's almost like, okay, but are we in that region? Are we in that geography? How often are they coming up? Yes, you want to keep them on your radar and maybe they start moving up on that tiering system, but that doesn't automatically make them a tier one competitor. Um, I know I, there are probably several e-commerce platforms to me that will forever be in that bucket um, until they're they are dominating the market. I don't care how many industry analyst reports they crush if they're not coming up in my competitive set. I just... Until you give me more resourcing, I don't necessarily have time for it.
0: I, I know we're coming up to near the top of the hour. This one kind of flew by, um, Mindy. I I, I wanted to, I want to ask a question just on that really quickly, and then before before we have to finish up here. But like in terms of you've got tier two and three, then especially like a, let's look at a tier three, like a real ankle biter. What you mentioned, like the hard resources, deliverables, kind of strategies you go you'll use for a tier one. What about those ankle biters? The ones that might come up a little bit, or as Brandon mentioned, pop up in a Slack channel, but don't really matter. Like not that they don't matter, but you, you get my drift yeah, um, yeah. from a resourcing standpoint, wh- how much are you putting towards them? And wh- what, what does that look like? What's the base l- baseline that you need to do for those?
1: I would say generally, um, fairly low, um, I would say controversial thing about me. I am incredibly active in Slack. Um, I have alerts set up for all of my competitor names and all of the channels that I'm in. So if somebody's talking about them, a wild Mindy will appear um, and start chiming in on a conversation. Um, I, I, in fact, somebody in my marketing team called that out the other day where they were like, hey, I dropped a doc of like, here's some emails that I got from XYZ competitor. And then I was, you know, I saw it, I opened it. And she was like, and there's Mindy opening the document within two minutes of me posting it. Um, so like, yes, it's easy, but I I rely on those categorization and those kind of quick dismisses. Hey, are they relevant? Is there a different set of like general high level talking points? Can I look at them really quickly? Can I put them in a bucket? Can I, can I paint Mm -hmm. them into a box? Right. As much as you need to understand who you are so that you know where you play, if they're outside of that space, it is the fastest way to dismiss them. That is where I'm a big fan of quick dismisses. Um, And they can be pretty generalized. I like to, again, have a list of, from a competitive differentiation point, like these are the five to seven areas where like, I'm going to hang our hat on our platform. And when you get really into the space, and this is not something you can do on day one, like expect this on like six months to a year in, you can start looking at somebody's website really quick. You can pick up like, okay, I know I'm going to go, I'm going to look at their solutions page. I'm going to look at their pricing page, I'm going to look at their industries page. What can I quickly spot and notice and then call right back out? Mm-hmm. Right? If you're talking about apps and ecosystems, who's app marketplace are they? In? If they're not f- fully in a marketplace, how much are they really invested in that particular thing if that's your core focus? So there's lots of little things that you just start almost getting a hang of and I don't think you like know what to look for until you're there and you just start looking for those
0: trends. Mindy, look at that. The, the clock hit 1 p.m. Pacific time as you finished that answer. That was, um, I appreciate you joining us here. This was, this was really fun. I feel like there's a lot more questions actually that we can ask on this. Um, but unfortunately, we have, to, we have to stop it here. Mindy, where can people reach you, contact you, connect with you?
1: Yeah, I'm on uh, LinkedIn. If you just uh, search for Mindy Regnell, right to the best of my knowledge, I'm the only one. You can also probably search Postscript Mindy and I'm the only Mindy at Postscript. Um, so that's a pretty fast, easy way to find me. Um, I will say if you want to connect with me on things other than like competitive or e-commerce, and you just want to obsessively follow quilting, I also, um, spend all my time on Instagram. So, um, I am nerdy threads quilting (laughs) ridiculous. Uh, I am, I think I'm right now posting pictures of a dinosaur quilt that I'm working on.
0: Well, so we got quilting content and compete content. What, uh, what a perfect match Uh, thank you so much for joining us Mindy and thank you everyone for attending again giving the feedback joining us live I really appreciate it so we will catch everyone very very soon and make sure to check out the Compete Network and keep your eyes peeled for more